Good morning, class. Good morning, Brother Keith. Hi, I'm Keith Moore, and we welcome you to Faith School. Faith School is the place where my spirit is fed, where my faith grows stronger, and where I learn how to be an overcomer. Praise God. Overcomer is a winner. Overcomer is a receiver. And the scripture says, you know, whatever is born of God is an overcomer, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Our faith is the way it happens. It's the way we connect with God. It's the way we give him access into our life. It's the way we receive. It's the way we resist. So that's uh, so why we take, you know, class after class, day after day to focus on this. Get your Bible, get something to make a note with. Come on into the classroom. Let's receive today. Father, we thank you for all you've already given us. And we seek your face and we ask for this day our daily bread. We ask for spiritual sustenance and help. That which would enlighten us, that which would illuminate and enlarge and equip and enable uh, the workings of your spirit and your wonderful word. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look, please, in 1 Corinthians 10 again. We've been uh, continuing on our study of what we're calling uh, overcoming unbelief. And in 1 Corinthians 10, we see that uh, that first generation of Israelites that God delivered out of Egyptian bondage Verse 5 says, with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now that verse applies specifically to the episode we're on right now, number 9. Uh, it's a place that they named Kibroth Hateva, and it means graves of lust where they buried the lusters. So that verse right there in verse uh, uh, 6 is the very one we're on now. He said, don't uh, lust after evil things as they did. And in verse 10, he said, don't murmur like some of them murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, all these things happen to them for examples. They're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. We are supposed to learn from what happened to them. Go back then to Numbers 11. And like we said, this is the ninth one we're looking at. And if you haven't been with us, uh, you can go online, faithschool.org, and you can go back to the beginning of the series, watch all of them. You can watch their hundreds of other lessons previous to that. Uh, no charge, no cost. Uh, they're available for you. And here at number nine, 
beginning in verse 4, tells us what happened. It says, The mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. Now, uh, this uh, event, this episode, is an example of how one group can contaminate another group. And the uh, contagion or the contagious nature of unbelief. When it says mixed multitude, if you uh, noticed back in Exodus, don't turn there, but I'll read it to you, Exodus 12. When they left Egypt, Exodus 12, 37, said the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. And it says about 600,000 on foot men besides the, the women and children. And verse 38 said, a mixed multitude went up with them. Now these are non-Hebrew. Some people who are other than Hebrew. Uh, just a mixed bunch. And these are not people who had made the commitment to believe in Jehovah as God. They had not become, you know, Jewish proselytes, if you will. They had not been converted to anything. They just saw a chance to get out of there when they left. And maybe they were also, you know, in servitude. Uh, because, you know, in those days, whatever people you conquered, uh, you took, uh, you know, servants. And, and they put them to, to labor. And so uh, there's a mixed multitude. And, and the scripture points out in Numbers 11 that though that's where this initiated was in that mixed, uh, one translation says rabble, <laughs> a mixed rabble. So these folks, and, and if, you, if you look at the other scriptures, a lot of these people were hauling around their false gods and idols in the middle of this group of people. And so you had all kind of stuff going on. There, there's some two plus million people in this group in camps. So it's spread out over a distance. And among them, they're, they're not all Hebrew. They're not all descendants of Abraham. And in this mixed rabble multitude, they fell a-lusting. And then the children of Israel also wept again. Can you see the contagious nature? Now, they're all, somebody started crying about, wish I had fish. Wish I had some fish. I want some meat. You know, sick of this manna. It's just manna, manna, manna. Manna cakes, manna soup, <laughs> right? Manna snacks. Manna, manna, manna. Yeah, but you would already be dead from starvation if you didn't have this manna that God is supernaturally. It's just dropping out of the sky. This is astounding. This is amazing. But it just shows you can get used to anything and take it for granted. Notice here in verse 7, he said, uh, verse 6, they had said, our souls dried away. There's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And then we get an excerpt of what it was. The manna was as coriander seed, like a small white seed. The color thereof is the color of delium. And the people went out and gathered it and ground it in meals or beat it in a mortar, baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it 
was as the taste of fresh oil. Another one said it tasted like wafers made with honey. Uh, another verse. Well, that's a similar thing. So it wasn't bad stuff. But you know, you eat the same thing every day for weeks and months. Well, you want to change. But you should remember that without it, you're starving. And you should remember God never said you're supposed to have this. They ate manna every day for 40 years. And you know they wanted something else. But it was never God's plan. God's plan is, you know, well, if you look at the next generation under Joshua, the Bible said when they got to the promised land and they got to the border, that the manna stopped because they began to eat the fruits of the land. And the manna continued until they got there. It was only supposed to be a miraculous temporary provision for the trip to get from point A to point B to sustain you, to get you there. Never was it God's will for them to eat only manna for 40 years or 20 years or 10 years or three years. Hmm? It was just for the trip. Just get across. Why am I saying that? Because there are a lot of people They are so bored with their life and they're so fed up with this and that and they want something. I just feel like there's something more. You know why you feel like there's something more? Because there's something more. Yeah, yeah, there is. But the problem is you got to listen to God. You got to obey Him. You got to be willing. If He says go, you go. If He says stay, you stay. You got to be willing to do what He says. And, And some of the simplest things people are unwilling to do, like what? Go to church. He says, well, I, I think I can be just as good a Christian as you and anybody at home, just be fellowshipping with God. Well, you can't ignore the Bible and be as good a Christian as anybody. <laughs> the Bible said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. What does that mean? Go to church. Hmm? I didn't like this church. Well, there's a lot of them around. And remember, if you found the perfect one, when you joined it, you'd mess it up. (laughs) So you got to realize churches are made up of people like you. So it's not going to be perfect in every respect. And the biggest problem with leaders is they're like you. They're human. They don't know everything. But friend, if you want to get God's best, you got to listen. Like we talked about earlier, you can't harden your heart. You can't be stubborn. You got to be teachable. You got to be correctable. You got to be directable. And so uh, this rabble started this complaining and longing for food and lusting after food. Now it's okay to, to want something better. That's not a sin. But it's not okay. To lust after it to the exclusion of everything else and not care what God wants for you. You you don't care what happens. You want this. And the Lord gave me this phrase some years ago. If you want something too much, you'll go too far. You'll go too far to get it. You'll do things you shouldn't do. You'll fail to do things you should do. If you want it too much. 
I found in my wife Phyllis and I in our, you know, uh, approaching, you know, it's over 40 years now of ministry. And so before too long in our marriage and in our ministry, we'll be approaching 50 years, not too many years from now. And um, I have seen personally, we've seen personally, God will give you all manner of good things. I mean, there's really not any kind of a thing he wouldn't give you. It doesn't get too big or too expensive if, if you don't want it more than you want him. Amen. Did you hear that part? Yes, if you want it more than you want him, he can't add it to you without it coming between you and him. He's not going to hurt you like that because that'd be the worst thing. And what we're, what we're going to see, in the, the, they named this place where a lot of these people died, Graves of Lust. That was the name of the place. And it wasn't because God didn't want them to have good food to eat. He's already been talking about how rich the promised land is and how everything you could ever want is there. But they, they weren't willing to believe that. And they demanded of God when it says, uh, who will give us fish to eat? If you read the other verses, we'll, we'll see this later. We'll take some time. But it says they tempted God. And that means they tested him. And they, they challenged God. Go back to uh, Exodus 16, and you'll see this is not the first time this had happened. Exodus 16 Verse 2 said, the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. This was the third event. This is the third time they have done this now. Now we've already gotten to the ninth time. They, the children of Israel said, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. That is so messed up. Nobody said anything about God killing them in Egypt. That never was mentioned or part of the issue. But that's how mixed up you can get when you yield to the wrong thinking. When we sat by the flesh pots and we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. Isn't he a merciful God? That I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Here's the thing. The, the psalmist said they kept trying to test God. But it wasn't God that's being tested. It was them. Their faith was being tried. First Peter talks about that. The trial of our faith. It's not God who's on trial. It's not God that's being proven, and yet, that's what they were trying to do. In Psalm 78, in fact, just turn over there. Psalm 78 is, a, is talking about this, this very thing that we're reading, and we're actually given detail. Psalm 78, 8. It says, might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart right, whose spirit was not steadfast with God. It, verse 18 says, 
they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Now again, like we said, that word is the word for tested. And here we're given detail as to why it was testing God. Verse 19, they spoke against God. And they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock, the waters gushed out, the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? See, they're not asking for meat. They are challenging God to prove it. Can you do it? Can he? Well, he, he had already demonstrated. He had already given them bread out of the out of sky. He had already brought birds in. He's already done this. And yet they are challenging him. They are questioning him. Here we see another big characteristic of unbelief. Unbelief questions God, questions His reality, questions His power, His ability, questions His goodness, questions His love, questions His faithfulness. Unbelieving. They're saying, well, can He do it or not? We want it. We want it. Do it. They're trying to pressure God, challenge God from a place of lust and longing and unbelief. Acting like they've never seen a miracle. Can you see why it irritated the Lord? Anytime you see where it says that the Lord was angered, know this, He had good cause. There was big reason. Because he is not a fly-off-the-handle God. He is not impatient. He is not, he doesn't fail to be compassionate. When the Bible said God was angry, there is big reason. You'd have been livid long before <laughs> he was in every situation. And have they seen that God can do things? How about the splitting of the Red Sea? Huh? How about the making of the bitter water sweet? How about water out of the rock? How about, and then, see, they're even saying that. Yeah, we saw that, we saw it. But can you do this? A challenge. They're trying to test God, prove God. When he was never being tested, it was them, their faith that was being proven and tested, and they're failing big time. We, we mentioned this uh, in a few weeks past, and it'll bear repetition. Every challenge is an opportunity to demonstrate faith. Amen. Hmm? Amen. It was then, it is now. Said out loud, every challenge, every every challenge, challenge in my life, in my life is, an is an opportunity for me to demonstrate, me to demonstrate that, I that I trust my God. Every challenge. When something comes up and you don't see how we'll be able to deal with this or how we'll be able to overcome it, how we'll be able to pay it, or how my body will be able to get past it, you should immediately, immediately realize this ain't the end. This is an opportunity. Amen. Right? Amen. 
Opportunity. God's not being tested here. God's got nothing to prove to anybody. Huh? He's already proven it. He's already, I heard somebody say the other day, well, there is no proof that God exists. Are you joking? You're standing on it. You're breathing it. It's everywhere around you. Proof of God is everywhere. The existence of matter and energy, the burning of the star, the sun. People say, well, all that came out. What? It just self-created. Well, if you want to believe that, you can, but don't call it science. It's a goofy belief. We've chosen to believe what the Word says. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Makes more sense to me than anything I've ever heard. And the big thing is it bears witness with my heart. Amen. When I hear it, my inner man, apart from my intellect, my inner man goes, that's right. <laughs> what? In the beginning. In the beginning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God created the heavens and the earth. I know one scholar one time said, that's Genesis 1-1. He said, if you're okay with Genesis 1-1, you'll be good with the rest of the Bible. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Why? Because in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe that, then you believe He exists, you believe He's real, you believe He's God, you believe He can do anything. And that is true. That is how it is. But it says they were challenging God, tempting God, testing God. You know, that's what uh, the enemy pushed Jesus to do when He was tempted for 40 days and nights. One of the things he did was took him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said, cast yourself down, throw yourself off of here, for it's written, the devil's quoting scriptures, it's written he'll give his angels charge over you and they'll bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. Well, that is scripture and that is what it says. But the enemy is trying to push Jesus to do something wrong. What, to do what? Prove the scripture. Prove that he believes it. Pro God didn't call you to prove the scriptures are real and true. They're true whether you ever believe them or not. They stand on their own. Us trying to defend God would be like an ant trying to defend a tank. <laughs> huh? It's just no point. Right? There's no point. God's not suffering from any insecurities. He doesn't feel the need to try to convince everybody that he's real. He could do it. God could stick his face in the sky from east to west and go, hey, I'm real. He could do it. He could do it so easily. But then where would faith be? See what I'm saying? He purposely, one of the prophets said, Isaiah said, he's a God who hides himself. He has to hide himself to a degree or else there's not even any room for faith because his presence is so pervasive and his creation is everywhere, all around. You have to want to be deceived. <laughs> you have to just choose to ignore things that are in your face, to doubt God, to doubt His existence, to doubt His Word. So they are challenging God. They are saying, can God, verse 19, 
Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? So there is such a thing as a stupid question. Huh? You ever heard sometimes people say, oh, there's no such thing as a stupid. Oh, yeah, there is. There's one right here. (laughs) There is such a thing as a stupid question. Can God? Challenging. Well, can God do it? Can he do it? Now, see, I don't know what they think they're doing. But are they, are they imagining that we're going to challenge God? They're daring God. We, we, we use that kind of terminology. Don't tempt me. Don't dare me. They're daring God. Can you do it? Show us. Can you do it? And you know, the, the men that stood at the base of the cross when Jesus was crucified, they talked that way, didn't they? They mocked and scoffed and said, if you're the son of God, come down from there. Show us. If you are who you say you are, show us. See, the reason I'm taking time on this, uh, if you just casually read the top of it, you may not understand what irritated God so much. But when you see what really happened, it's obvious. There's no call for this. There, there's no re- this is not reasonable. This is not logical. They have seen provision. They've seen it over and over and over again. God's healed their bodies. He put money in their pockets. He delivered them from Pharaoh in Egypt. He even eliminated Pharaoh and all his hosts so they never have to be scared of them again. He turned the bitter water sweet. He's done all kinds of things. You should never question his ability. And you shouldn't question his love either. You shouldn't question his intent for you. Is that true today, class? Is it true today that it's not okay? If If you want to understand something, you can ask a question. Lord, teach me about this. Ask it in humility. Say, Lord, I know you know. I know you can show me. I trust your answer. But you don't go, show me. If you can, prove to me. Then you start talking like that, I'm going to step away from you. I'm gonna, God, I, you know, I'm not with them. I am not. Hmm? Really? Because it is so devilish. See, that's how the enemy, the enemy wants to challenge God. The enemy wants to blaspheme God. And when human beings talk like that, they are getting that straight from God's enemy. They don't realize where those thoughts are coming from, where those words and phrases are coming from. Say it out loud. Father God, I refuse to do that. I will show you honor. I will show you respect. I will not doubt or question your power. Your ability. You are the Almighty, Creator of the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too difficult. Nothing is beyond your reach. I trust you. I rely on you. I respect you. I will wait on you. I will look to you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Well, our time's up again for today. But as you see, we're just about halfway through our text. Come back tomorrow. 
and we'll get rid of some more of this ugly unbelief and advance in our faith in God. I've got a victory living inside. Thank you for joining us at Faith School. Class is dismissed for today, but you can watch this and other episodes of Faith School free of charge at faithschool.org. For more information, visit our website or call us at 941-702-7390.